Welcome to truly the final episode of season one of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. This is our final um, of three bonus episodes. And uh, I haven't told Karen this, our guest, but I'm going to title it Fun with NFTs, but we're also going to talk about live streaming and other things. So I'm so pleased to announce or share, introduce, announce, whatever. Hello. Um, today's guest, author, consultant, and all-around music tech expert, Karen Allen. Welcome, Karen. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's get into your background, um, which I'm sure you've shared many times, but to me, it's it's incredibly unique. So how did you start in music, and how did you become like truly a digital music tech expert? I've been in digital pretty much since the start of my career save for um, a couple, maybe two years of um, artist management, which by the way is the best first job in the music business. Let's just say it. Um, If you can get an assistant gig at an artist management company, you will learn everything about the business inside and out. Um, It's kind of like being a, you know, no, nor of everything, master of none. Um, and it, it was a great first gig for me because it really helped me figure out what I wanted to do and specifically what I didn't want to do. And when you work for a tiny management company, um, you really do hands on everything. Like I was a publicist, I booked concerts, I, you know, I, I got radio play, I worked on licensing deals, you know, you name it, like, it's all hands on deck. I'm sure your company was the same way when you're managing artists. Um, but we slipped into digital pretty quickly, uh, and I kind of rode the first the first wave um, of digital music um, very much back in the day, and then uh, went through a couple of startups, landed at the RAAA right around the time that they were suing Napster, um, and it was sort of the in-house digital music expert uh, for the RA sort of bridging, um, the RA with all the, um, startups at the time and, um, and really working directly with the record labels and helping the RA understand what the labels were doing kind of on a day-to-day basis, um, to, to, to work out this whole new new digital thing. So that was a hell of a job. Um, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then I worked for the mobile entertainment forum, which was a trade association, much like the RAA is. It was a trade association for the mobile entertainment ecosystem. And I worked there before we had the iPhone. So before it was really easy to get you know content on a phone, just make an app and market your app and off you go. Uh, before that, uh, it was way more complicated. There was a whole network and ecosystem of provisioners that you had to bring in to um, make your content ready to go on to mobile and then to service it and then to sell it. And then were you being promoted on carrier or off carrier? It was this whole, whole thing. Um, so that kind of took me out of music into the, you know, general tech space, so to speak. Um, and then I worked for Ted Cohen uh, at Tag Strategic for about five years, um, specifically with digital um, music tech startups and doing biz dev and strategy for them. So I'm um, just really helping them figure out where they fit in the marketplace, um, helping them get their um, partners, uh, getting their sales done, helping them find money, um, just, you know, helping them <laughs> basically. And then and I kind of- been, yeah. you, like that was, from my perspective, that was a really exciting time because mm-hmm. there were so there were so many music startups and um, it was really just an explosion of um, so much of what we're doing now. Yeah, so I've definitely noticed that there um, are peaks and valleys within the music tech um, 
ecosystem. Uh, it's there's, you know, we are definitely in a renaissance right now. We were in a dip, I would say before this, um, but with, you know, live streaming and NFTs and, um, and, you know, a few other sort of like trends that have come along. I feel like there's, there's so many companies in music tech right now. And, and, and it's important to jump in when we have these waves, right? Because they go away <laughs> and then it gets very like, there's not much to do for a while. There's really no innovation and, you know, there's only growth where there's innovation. So um, it's a really exciting time. And, and I just encourage everybody to read everything and pay attention and, you know, to place your chess pieces wisely. Amazing. So what happened after working with Ted at, at TAG? I went on my own and kind of did the same thing. Um, uh, just for myself. And it gave me the chance to explore things that were just specifically interesting to me. And I ran across live streaming, which was always there. I mean, I was involved with one of the very first live streams ever on the internet, and it's always kind of been there. Um, but it really hasn't, you know, taken center stage in any way, you know, for lots of reasons, you know, it's not something that um, is inexpensive to do. It's very risky. Um, artists don't really like to be recorded or broadcasting anything unless it's perfect. Um, great example of that is, you know, we had a couple of companies when I was working for Ted that would record concerts and sell the MP3s immediately after. And artists just didn't want to do it. Totally. You know, they just, they didn't want to sound bad or make a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, they wanted to have remixing rights. And it's like, it's so not about that. It's about right. the moment, yep. you know? And you'd think being live musicians, you know, where they live in the moment, that's like the most fun for them usually is to perform live. They would get that, um, but they were, they just didn't want anything out there that wasn't 100% perfect. So then to be, you know, pitching them live streaming, that's even worse, right? How many things could possibly go wrong? And Sorry. even... During the pandemic, most people would prefer to to live stream a pre-recorded set than they would to actually yep. live stream because so many things could go wrong, you know. But the thing is, fans don't care when right. <laughs> things go wrong. They really don't, you know. They care if the whole thing dumps. They care if it's so bad you can't listen to it. They care about, like, catastrophe. Totally. But they don't care about small mistakes. Yep. They really don't. You know, that's, that's, what, that's it, you know. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. That's what can make it special and unique. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. So, so, um, so back to live streaming. So the the um, part of it that was fascinating to me was uh, was really honestly through you now, which is still around. Um, but you now was a you know a bunch of teenagers and some artists and so forth, and it was um, a community of live streamers. Um, kind of generating community around each one of their live streams. And then you now had interesting ways to gamify that community and to monetize it. So it ended up being fun to participate in and fun to spend money on as a viewer. So they were just one of the many, many, many companies that um, were, were doing this. It's massive in Asia and has been it for years. Um, the other one who's notably, you know, doing it at that scale, um, well, a much larger scale actually is Twitch. And so I looked at Twitch and Twitch had a music section that was doing really well. Like it was really robust and there were artists on there that no one's like really ever heard of, you know? And at the time I was at this, it's like 2016 that I was really getting into it. Um, and 
there were, I, you know, I would go check out these artists on Instagram and Facebook and Spotify and any other place you would normally have something going on. And it was always like less than a thousand streams, less than a thousand followers. Um, but they were really flourishing on Twitch. You know, some of them were making, you know, you could call it really good, you know, part-time living money. Um, some of it, you know, was full-time living money. It just kind of depend on how much time energy they put, they put into it. And they were doing mostly covers. And that's really fascinating. You know, if you think about, you know, what indie artists go through to come up with their own songs and record their own material and then try to go make money with it online, you know, or in the real world, you know, the ROI is, is massively in the negative, <laughs> you know, in most cases. Um, it's really hard to make a buck doing any of it. Um, and then there's people you've never heard of on Twitch just hanging out, making music, yeah. doing covers, you know, making, you know, 20 30 grand a year. I think any artist would take that, right? That's really that's like really good part-time living money. You know, especially if you don't live in an expensive city. That's like that's, you know, that's real money. Um there's one artist on there that was doing well over 100, you know. Um Well, I'm yeah. jumping around a little bit, but how are they doing that? And also, you are the author of Twitch for Musicians, which you brilliantly released in late 2019 because mm -hmm. you're psychic. Um, <laughs> So how, how are they doing that? Give, a, give us the basics on that. Yeah, so it's some of it's on-platform and some of it's off-platform. Um, and there's a connection between the two. So um, basically with any sort of UGC, which is user-generated content, any sort of UGC, gamified, monetized, live streaming platform, Twitch being the ultimate example of this, you now being another example, um, what happens is you can watch for free and it's actually, it's free to perform. It's free as an artist to participate as well. But from a user standpoint, it's free to watch. Um, you can optionally subscribe to that channel and subscribing generally gives you perks. Um, and the perks on Twitch are things like custom emoji, which they call emotes um, that you can use. And, and um, as the artist, you can design those emotes. Um, so you definitely do it around your brand, around your songs, around your inside jokes. Around, so they're fun to use. So that's, that's a reason for wanting to do that. Um, and then there's also virtual currency on these platforms. In the case of Twitch, it's bits. So you spend US dollars to buy bits, and then you spend the bits in the channel. Um, and you can spend bits on any channel once you buy them. They're not committed to one channel. So you can spend bits, uh, you can just give bits, you know, to the streamer as a tip, or you can spend them on something called a cheer moat. Um, which is an animated emoji uh, and they get more intricately animated the more you spend money on them. Um, the artist can set it up so that they also appear on screen, not just in the chat. Um, and then Twitch has a whole app marketplace called Extensions where any developer can create an app for Twitch that uses bits or not, um, but the ones that use bits are more interesting. So... Um, all these things that Twitch would never build because there's only so much time to build things. Um, Third-party developers tend to build those. So it's like taking song requests, for example, is like the most popular one for indie artists. So you can put up your entire song list on there and people can spend bits um, to request those songs. And then they go into your song queue and you get the money for it. Um, that's all the on. Uh, oh, there's advertising too, but there's generally not enough um, views to really generate any significant advertising uh, for for the music streamers. That's really only for the big gamers that make money on that. So that's all on. 
and then the off-platform um, revenue um, generally cycled through Stream Labs or Stream Elements. Uh, I say always they're like the Pepsi and Coke with streamer services. They're the because um, they do pretty much the same thing. They just do it in slightly different ways. But right. that's what you're going to use to get your on-screen alerts and your chatbot and like all the interactive stuff is interestingly not Twitch. <laughs> interestingly, right. which does not enable any of that stuff. You have to use other services to do all the interactivity. And one of the interactive things they have is you can take donations through those services and that will generate an on-screen alert, you know, saying so-and-so just donated X amount of dollars. Um, and it also appear in your chat um, and they don't take any cut off of that, which is really nice. It's just, you know, whatever the payment processor is going to take. Um, and you can get really creative with that. Like you can attach certain perks to certain dollar amounts um, or certain things you'll do on screen for certain dollar amounts, you know, um, um, what's you an know. example of something artists are doing for certain dollar amounts. Yeah. So some of them will, you know, play a certain song for a certain dollar amount. They'll throw your name in a certain song. Um, some of them will, um, you know, do a thing. So do a, a little dance, for example, like just whatever, whatever is, you know, natural to them and fun yeah. for them. Some get really silly with it. Um, so yeah. And then they can, there's a little activity fee that tells them like what came through. So if they miss, if they miss the, the alert, they still, they still see it. Um, but yeah, those are just fun ways to incentivize people and you can make them for like, you know, $3.33 or, you know, whatever, whatever amount is like meaningful. The idea is really to, to make it natural to the culture of um, how you communicate and have fun with your audience. I love it. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about in your career to get us up to, up to speed? Cause um, I kind of jumped around. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I've, I've, I'm always looking for what's next. You know, I'm not really interested in something once it's, normal to what we do like spotify mm -hmm. was fascinating and then once it became the norm it's like it's not fascinating anymore right. what else is next you know so the next thing is um is always kind of what i'm looking for and trying to figure out and i i just i couldn't believe i was the only person in our industry looking at live streaming you know and i right. <laughs> like totally. this is really incredible imagine if there were artists people actually knew on here and i understand that you know established artists really don't have time to do a bunch of streams on Twitch. It really is time consuming. And it, it is, it's unlike every other social media platform I've ever seen, but it's like it in the sense that you have to keep feeding the beast, right? You got to right. keep posting. Yeah. You know, you, you can't post once on Instagram and never post again and be like, look at me, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the same with streaming. Exactly. If you, if you want to keep your audience engaged, you have to keep doing engaging things. And that's really more of an indie artist ability than it is, you know, a fully established, signed, recording, making videos, touring artist capability. So that's kind of why I focused everything towards indie artists. Right. Um, and really, you know, and actually I went, I went out and found an indie artist to build a channel with, um, Marina V, who's fantastic. We've been friends for a long time. She's super talented and she's only ever crowdfunded any of her albums and she's got like 12 records out, Right. you know, she's always been fully indie. Her fans love her. She understands how to connect with them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you are perfect <laughs> for yeah. this. And she just got pregnant. So she didn't want to tour anymore. And the whole 
whole thing was great. So I actually built her whole channel of the, um, you know, the, the year, um, leading up to releasing the book. She's the reason why I put the book out because building a channel was so complicated. Like every time I figured out I had to do something to build a channel, I had to go backwards and figure out what that thing actually was. Yeah. You know, I have to use OBS to stream. What the hell is OBS? It's a whole program, you know, that you use to produce your stream technically. Okay. So if I want to put audio on there, then how do I do that? Great. It sounds terrible. What does it sound terrible? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like I had to research everything. Every time I figured out what the next thing was that I needed, I had to go research what that was and then, you know, um, check it and figure out like, why isn't it working? And how come this isn't doing the thing it's supposed to do? And then go read the forums. And it took me like three months to put her channel together. And I'm good at this. Yeah. And I'm patient with it and I'm interested in it. I can't imagine an independent artist having the, you know, the patience and endurance to put all the work into it just to see if something might happen for them. That seemed like really unrealistic to me. So, right. but it's, it's such an insane opportunity. Like I've really seen artists start from nothing on Twitch at the, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, and really go for it. And they're one of the top artists, you know, on Twitch right now. So it's entirely possible to do. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the title of this episode is fun with NFTs. Um, this was an audience request because I keep getting even like, I don't know if this is five words, but just like even one sentence questions, like people will message me and just be like, are NFTs good or bad? Yeah. <laughs> and like so many things in the music industry, you know, my answer is, is it compelling or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and I caught a quote that you posted on the artist managers group, which I assume you're okay with me sharing because you posted it to 10,000 yeah. people or whatever. I don't want to hear any bitching about NFTs being a scam. <laughs> this is happening. It matters. And you're going to look like an idiot for not knowing about it. So yeah, I stand by that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's yeah. start at the basics. Like what is an, you know, like my partner and I were just explaining NFTs to my mom. So like, what are NFTs? Let's start there. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the stupid technical, you know, answer is it's a non-fungible token, you know, which means it's basically it's, it's a, it's a, a thing on the internet, whatever you want it to be, usually an image and possibly music, um, that, um, that is unique in some way and is singularly owned by one person, blah, 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 blah. That's um, really important. What you just said, singular, yeah. singularly owned by one person, but please right. continue. Right. Yeah. So you can think, I mean, here's, here's the, th- here's the thing with NFTs. Like we don't know if anyone's going to care about this in five years. Right. Um, or even 10, you know, Emily, you and I have been in this business for so long. We've seen so many things come and go, things that people were super excited about. And then suddenly no one cared, you know, so we don't know. But what I know for sure is that there's one hell of a head of steam on it right now. And it's not just, you know, a quirky music thing. This is happening across, you know, a lot of different industries. We're seeing brands like Adidas, you know, put out NFTs, um, the art world obviously is obsessed with it right now. Sotheby's is dealing NFTs. Um, there's more and more legitimate music um, artists and even entities like Coachella who are experimenting right now. 
Um, and the thing with NFTs and crypto in general is that it's only as valuable as we all say it is, mm-hmm. you know, which is true for anything, by the way. You know, right. the Mona Lisa is only as valuable as we all say it is. It's just a canvas and some paint, right? Totally. Right. So that is basically the essential for all art. It's only as much as we can hype it up to ourselves is how valuable it is. Um, so that's like the intrinsic value of an NFT. But what's interesting to me about NFTs is that a lot of the um, a lot of the of the collections are more than just the intrinsic value of the digital asset itself. They've actually made them into like mini fan clubs. And this is where I think it jives extremely well with music because we understand a fan club. Like we understand. Yeah. We understand like we've been doing Patreons for what, eight years now, maybe is it 10 yet? I don't know. At least eight, I would think we've been doing Patreons. yeah. Yeah. So we understand a subscription model, right? We understand that people give us money and then we give them some sort of, thing over time and we make it interesting to them you know we understand how to make a fan happy when they show up to a concert we understand merch like we understand a lot of the basic um, mechanics that there are around nfts so in that sense you know it's it's pretty native to what we're doing it's just putting it onto this whole crypto blockchain explosion (laughs) that's sort of happening right now and um the interesting thing about NFTs is when you make so you so you your initial offering on an NFT is called a minting. You mint the NFT, mm-hmm. and then the and then people buy it, right? And they're usually collections of you know five thousand, ten thousand NFTs. Which sounds like how am I ever going to make five thousand to ten thousand NFTs? And they're all sort of you know generated. Um, you know, automatically you put in certain elements and, you know, you run a program on it and a bunch of spit out and that's your 5,000 to 10,000 collection, you know, and it's like different art elements. It's different sounds. Like Mike Shinoda did a really good example of this with Zuggernauts um, where he had um, layers of art, a background, you know, um, a head model, accessories, colors, that sort of thing. And then um, they were, generated automatically through a computer to spit out the X number of options into, you know, 5,000 possible art collections. I mean, art images. And then he did the same thing with music, right? So he's like, well, there's this drum beat and then there's, you know, this Tom and this hi-hat and this bass and this whatever. And then they were kind of like automatically generated to spit out a bunch of samples and, and beats and so forth. And then those were married together with the images. And that's how he created like 5,000 NFTs, like, you know, automatically. So, um, so you put those out and then people buy them. So that's, that's the minting, right? People buy, you know, the, the first edition you can say, uh, and then they can sell them to other people, hopefully at a profit. The interesting thing about that whole model though, is within, within the, the contract um, of the NFT, it's sort of written in who gets what you can, you can think of it like a royalty. It's kind of like the, the record contract, Um, (laughs) for each nft who gets what how much does the producer get how much does the label get how much does the artist get it's the same kind of thing in a smart contract with an nft like what's the split basically um and as the as the creator of the nft you can write yourself in to every subsequent sale so not only do you get the money on the initial minting but every time that 
that NFT gets sold again in the marketplace, you get a, you get a vig on it. Yeah. Um, which is insane because, you know, if you put yeah. out a CD, you we make no money on the used CD marketplace. We make no money on the used vinyl marketplace, right? Yep. But we make money, you're going to make money in perpetuity passively on these NFTs. So it's it incentivizes you to keep this NFT interesting and valuable to other people. So again, we have the intrinsic value of the NFT, which is just the value of the the digital asset itself. And that is interesting in, in some cases, but, but it really puts the onus on us to make the community side of it. What are the perks that I get for owning this NFT? You know, how do these perks evolve over time? Um, Cause that's your resale value right there. You know, cause people are not only just buying the, the asset, you know, for posterity, they're buying into the perks. That's exactly right. And uh, you know, you and I are experienced enough to, I mean, you already said it with like the UCD stuff. Like, so on one hand, like I see so much artist empowerment in NFTs and in crypto. Cause you talked about the smart contracts, you know, you can know exactly who wrote on this, like you said, who produced it. Um, that's not just filed away or misregistered somewhere. Yeah. And also I was trying to pull up, um, I have a quote in my book from Andy Partridge. Uh, it's a tweet that he did, but I can summarize it if I can't find it. But it's basically like, he's like, you know what? I have no idea how many albums XTC sold over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, it. Do you know I have absolutely no idea how many, <laughs> what I just said, how many albums <laughs> XTC sold over the years? Record companies never tell you as then they would have to pay you. Millions of albums? Sure. But how many? What territories? Many time I asked Virgin cooking vinyl TVT and they will never tell you. So, you know, we had this uh, pre-digital, you know, analog paper era that was kind of a mess. And so mm-hmm. now we have these smart contracts and, you know, like you said, it's like, royalties can get paid directly forever instead of us just like, you know, I mean, the number one revenue, the number one missing revenue stream I see with artists is music publishing because they sign up for their PRO and understandably they think they're, they've, they're collecting on their music publishing because, Mm -hmm. Oh, ASCAP asked me to create a publishing designee. So I'm good to go. They don't know that they need to work with a music publisher or song trust to be collecting on their music publishing in full. So that's what is so brilliant and groundbreaking about smart contracts and why I really pointed out the, the, you know, when you were talking about ownership, because again, you and I are experienced enough to know that in the pre-digital era, you know, artists would have to sign to a label and sign their rights away just to be able to record and distribute. Right. So this is extremely empowering. I understand. The other, the other thing, good, the other good thing, just quickly, the other thing to know about Please. that is as you get paid out on every one of those NFT sales, you're getting paid in crypto. Right. And crypto ideally becomes more and more valuable over time. That's so, right. you know, Bitcoin was, you know, one Bitcoin was like a fraction of a dollar, <laughs> a fraction yeah. of a penny at one point. And now it's like, you know, it was, it hit $70,000. Totally. So, so there's the value. There, there's a passive income that's going to come through the NFT, but there's also the building of your crypto assets as well and, and the value of that over time. So there's actually two ways to make money off NFTs, if it all goes well. Again, this is extremely volatile. It's not regulated. 
you know, it can be up, up, up. It can be down, down, down. Um, if you're following crypto at all, there's been some stories in the news recently where, you know, there's been some heists, you know, <laughs> people who have what? cleared out like, you know, millions of dollars of people's crypto's wallets. Um, there's been, you know, uh, you know, bad actors selling off, you know, too much crypto at once, which brings down the value of the crypto. It's insanely volatile, but sure. there are also you know, people have had some pretty massive upsides with it too. But, you know, web 2.0, which was, you know, was also extremely volatile. And I think that's what people need to understand is it's easy to be like, you know, something new is a scam or scary or whatever. Um, but I remember like I was a teenager in the nineties and I had a youngish swim coach. Maybe she was late twenties. Maybe she was 30. And she's like, what's this WWW stuff, you know, that I'm seeing <laughs> on all the commercials and stuff like that. And so that's what, how I try to equate crypto in particular to people that are just like, Oh, I don't want to deal with that. I'm like, that would be like saying, I don't want to deal with the internet in 1998. So yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're watching Pam and Tommy right now on amazing. Hulu and you know, they're, they're selling it online and right. Like Tommy Lee has no idea what the internet is. They like Pam and Tommy literally had to go to the Malibu library to check in on oh. a computer to like, to see that their own tape is up, oh you know, goodness. like that's, that's, you know, is a real thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, like people really were at that point with it. And I feel like we kind of are at that point now with NFTs. Cause I'm telling you, Matt, it's a labyrinth. There's so much insane information to have to know, to understand. Like every, I feel like every time I, learn something new about an nft i'm saying i'm exactly where i was with live streaming i gotta back up well what's that and back up well what's that there's this new thing well what's that new thing you know yeah it's, um, well, there's this, yeah, there's so much to know and you know for like the students who are listening like any you know aspiring music business people um you know i was interviewing a student today like literally for a internship interview and he had started a label and, and really, you know, organized his own work during the pandemic when a lot of internships shut down. I was like, there you go. That's yeah. actually how you succeed in the music industry. Because I've also had students say, you know, well, what happened? Because I, you know, I guest lectured um, in, artist in artist management classes or speak or whatever. And I've heard students say like, well, what happens when you create a plan for your artists and then there's a pandemic and then touring shuts down? And I was mm -hmm. like, I, I, quote uh, Professor Scott Laguerre um, on this because he brought this up when I was speaking in his class in like April, May 2020, like very, very early pandemic. And he's like, the pandemic is for live music what Napster was for recorded music. So then I just mm -hmm. go back to that and say to the student, like, well, what happens when you're selling CDs? And um, we weren't really selling vinyl as much in the 90s, but selling, you know, music as a physical good. And then suddenly it's available everywhere. Like that's actually what artist management and the music industry is, is constantly adapting and evolve and evolving and creating, you know, the business around the artists based on where the world is. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I guess like, you know, you, you were, you're, you were talking about how you wrote Twitch for musicians because you were figuring this stuff out. That's why I wrote the book. This podcast is, or that's how I wrote the book. This podcast was based on, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I did go to school for music business, but I just, you know, especially I was working with the Dresden Dolls like in the early 2000s and we were just so excited about technology that we wanted to try all this stuff and understand it. And that's the best, that's how I learned all this stuff was just going through the weeds, trying everything, being like this works or this other thing sucks or whatever. 
and then that's how you figure it out. So um, that's a little bit more for the, you know, music business students and aspiring music industry people. Not, I mean, not to dissuade artists, like that's what Karen's book is for, you know, Twitch Mm -hmm. for musicians. Um, And hopefully, you know, this podcast in my book to help help you all figure this out. But okay, so if you're a musician, and and I talk about this a lot, um, not to go on too much of a tangent. um, You know, like when we book it, when we book I Voted Festival, that is purely booked per the data. We literally look at the top streaming and top trending acts in key states. Mm-hmm. And I've learned, and I'm sure you know this better than anyone, there's really two music industries. There's what, you know, we're talking about, and then there's what people are actually listening to. Yeah. <laughs> and those things cross sometimes, but um, not all the time. So that's all leading up to, you know, okay, so if I'm an artist and I'm figuring this stuff out and I'm hearing about like Adidas NFTs and Coachella NFTs and and whatever, and you just described NFT creation beautifully, like where do I go? Like if I want to mint an NFT and get into this, what do I do? Yeah, I mean, there's not surprisingly, there's a bunch of startups popping up that just make this really easy for artists. Um, I feel like I learn about a new one, you know, every time I pop up on the computer. Um, so there's, there's a bunch, um, like, I, I mean, I can't even talk of my head, um, but I would just, I would Google it. Um, and my favorite resource, honestly, for all this NFT stuff, actually most music tech stuff is water and music, which is Sherry yeah. Hughes thing, water and music.com. If there is a subscription to it, it's inexpensive. Um, and I, just, just join it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. she explains everything and, you know, she's, it's not just a bunch of articles. It's actually a discord too. So you get access yeah. to the discord and all the executives and so forth. And just discord. for our less maybe tech savvy people, let people know what discord is. Yeah. So discord was kind of it was almost birthed out of Twitch a little bit. So, um, cause you know, it's most, it began as mostly, uh, gamers. Yep. Um, so, um, Twitch is great for live. It's not great for asynchronous communication. There's no way to leave a message for people. You know, you, I mean, you have like your about page where you can like put stuff, but in terms of, you know, having a newsfeed and posts in the sense that you do on social media platforms does not exist on Twitch. So it's kind of hard to communicate with people when you're not streaming. Mm-hmm. So a lot of streamers, you know, started making, um, Discords on Discord. Uh, basically, Discord is a website and an app full of message board servers, you know, which is like real throwback to 90s internet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it all started with, you know, the IRC um, message boards. So it's a bunch of message boards. The servers are free to, to, um, to open up. And then you invite people to your server. Um, and then they have access to your boards and you can make some of the boards private if you want um, and some public. And then there's even audio on there. So you can have, um, you know, audio conversations, uh, group conversations or whatever. So it's, it's live streaming in the sense that it's, it's audio. Um, but it's mostly, it's a place for people to hang out and talk and leave messages with each other. Uh, and it's insanely popular with the people on Twitch and um, it's sort of blossomed outside of that because there really aren't many places where you can just have, you know, open forum. Uh, and people are kind of shying off Facebook for that. Instagram's not really set up for that. Reddit is, you know, a little too public. So um, Discord is sort of filled that hole of where do I put people that I want to have sort of an ongoing conversation with about a lot of different topics. Um, and that's kind of become Discord. 
Wonderful. Yeah. Um, can you speak to, okay, so the other thing that I see from fans or artists is that NFTs and crypto is bad for the environment. Um, can you, true. Not to, I, I didn't give you a heads up on that, so not to put you on no, the no, spot. No, 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 it's true. Can you, can you no, speak to that at all? Yeah, it's true. Um, and it, it, it's another ridiculously complicated, overly complicated explanation, which I'll try to make really simple. Um, Every time you, so, so crypto is built on a blockchain, right? So um, it's basically, think of it like a massive Excel spreadsheet where every time something new happens, a new cell on that spreadsheet is filled. That's blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, and crypto is built on that. Every time you sell crypto to, or buy crypto, there's a crypto transaction, there has to be a new block on the blockchain, a new cell on the spreadsheet that represents that. That says, you know, so-and-so sold it to so-and-so, and now so-and-so holds this this piece of crypto, this NFT, whatever it is. It's all built on a blockchain. So um, the question becomes, it just is all decentralized, and there's no there's no regulating body to verify any of this, is how, how do we know anything's true on a blockchain? Mm. And there's two ways. One is proof of work, and one is proof of stake. And historically, it has been proof of work. And basically that means that a bunch of computers, like a, like, um, a bunch, like a, um, server farm, basically, you know, even will go through a bunch of computations to verify that this new, um, new block on the chain, new cell on the spreadsheet is actually what it says it is. They do a bunch of like really complicated computations and, um, there's, there's a thing called mining for Bitcoin, where these a bunch of volunteer computers do all of this work and to verify something in exchange for doing all the work to verify it, they get a little bit of Bitcoin for doing it. So it's a way to, they called it mining Bitcoin because you did the work um, that the blockchain needs and, and your reward is Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. That's the old way. So it takes like a lot, a lot, a lot of processing cycles to do these computations and that is where it's bad for the environment the amount of electricity it takes is like insane and we're talking about bitcoin going off at scale ethereum going off at scale you can see how this gets really really complicated Um, and there are literally people you know buying warehouses in montana and filling them with servers because it's cheap out there and it's cold so (laughs) it works out really well for them my partner's got it he doesn't have a warehouse but he's got you know a mini rig that it's like a pet like oh my gosh it's shut down like yeah but it's re- remote controlled so you can get it going again totally yeah so that's that is proof of work um and that is the bad for the environment part and that's where um bitcoin i mean crypto has been historically built on so most of the stable coins like you know uh ethereum and bitcoin and so forth and the ones that have built off of that are built on so there's a whole new thing called proof of stake and mm-hmm. that is um solana and tezos and sort of these new coins um, that don't use that system to verify the block on the chain. Proof of stake basically is whoever is buying it sort of puts up their crypto as collateral saying, we know this to be true. Right. So if it falls through, there's collateral. So it's yeah. proof of stake. So you're not running a bunch of computations. You're just saying, I, you know, I... I volunteer <laughs> to take the hit, yeah. basically, if if what I say is true is not true. Right. That's proof of stake. It's a lot lighter. Um, mm-hmm. And um, that's sort of the trend that I see a lot of artists building on because artists tend to care about this kind of stuff. Yes. And the only, the only drawback on that is, you know, it's not on Bitcoin or Ethereum, right, which are mm-hmm. really um, 
uh, known and valuable and heavily traded and therefore a lot more stable um, coins than Tezos, you know, and Solana and some of these new ones. Um, but I think the more people use Solana and Tezos and whatever, um, well, they, they will get to that point. So that's, that's the big difference between, you know, um, the environmental impact and also the risk you take by not going with something that's, you know, as blue chip as a Bitcoin. So what it sounds like is the, the technology is getting more efficient, right? Like mm-hmm. a computer from the 1970s probably required way more, you know, energy than, than what we have now. Um, for sure. For sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, we are at Infinite Album, which is my new company. I just joined yeah. as CEO. Yay. We, we actually do have an NFT strategy because it's 2022 and everybody does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's important to us. So right. we're looking at, you know, putting our, putting ours out on, on Tezos um, or, or Solana, probably, probably Tezos. Um, there is, I do want to share one thing with artists. There is um, a way to put out NFTs collaboratively with a bunch of other people so you're not kind of out there on your own and right. it's kind of popular it's called hick it nunk uh, which is an insane name it's h-i-c-e-t-n-u-n-c dot x-y-z hick it nunk um and it's kind of like this um this collaboration uh where anybody can throw up uh a minted nft on there um so it's a it's kind of a baby step way of getting into it you know without having to do completely everything yourself and promote it yourself and they run on tezos um, which, right. which is great um mike shinoda's um uh zuggernauts uh ran on tezos um the coachella uh offering is on solana so i think we're seeing you know these being more and more used so don't be scared to use them um just know that some people you know are probably not your fans but just regular people who are sort of you know uh, investing in NFTs and crypto may want to do it on something that's backed by Bitcoin and Ethereum because those are, you know, vastly more valuable coins and, you know, tend to have more of a guaranteed upside. Right. Yeah. And what do you think about, again, because it, it can be super intimidating when all these huge brands have NFTs. So, you know, we're seeing some artists say like, oh, it's just a money grab or whatever. And I'm totally going to botch this, but I think you'll get the idea. Um, Umphreys McGee, I, I really like. I really liked what they did with an NFT very early on. It was, I, I believe, it was like a live stream show. Maybe it was an in person show um, that everybody could be a part of. But then one person got the NFT of the show. I'm like, sorry, Umphreys fans. I'm sure I am botching what that was, but I liked how everybody had access, but then only one person could, or however many could own it and and keep it. So, do you have any thoughts on that? Instead of, you know, like the. Coachella tickets for life is super cool, but like who, who can afford that? You know? So how, how, you know, what are some examples of artists, um, you know, making NFTs a little more accessible for everyone, if that makes sense? Yeah. So I think the important thing to understand is that, you know, these really, really big NFT sales, I don't think they're happening from fans. I think they're happening from people who made a ton of money on crypto. Yeah. You know, or people who are just rich and want to get in Mm -hmm. like the whole board ape yacht club thing. You know, everybody, it was accessible to just about anybody who wanted to get in. But, but by now it's like, you know, it's the big crypto guys. Right. Um, and even within crypto, even within Bitcoin, 
you know, the vast majority of Bitcoin is held by a very small number of people. So these are people who are just sort of prospecting into crypto and, and NFTs. Um, you can set the mint price, whatever you want um, for your NFT, like whatever the initial offering is. Um, like for Mike, it was only 15 Tezos. Uh, Tezos is $4 right now. So that's like 60 bucks, super, mm -hmm. super accessible. And he wanted it that way. Um, but you know, he makes money on every sale, <laughs> right? Yeah. So some of those, some of those NFTs are going for like, you know, 10,000, whatever, he'll make money every single time. So the people who want to prospect on that, you right. know, can, can, and can afford it, um, will be there. But you know, I, I don't kid myself that, you know, the average fan has 10 grand to, to drop on an NFT. Nice. I think that's, I think that's insane honestly, to, to expect that. So, but all you really have to worry about as an artist is your initial offering. Sure. You know, make it available to your fans. Yep. Um, and then try to build in some perks along the way, try to make it fun, you know, try to have like a high concept around it. Um, a really fun concept right now um, that Ozzy Osbourne just did is crypto bats. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. So go to crypto bats, bats with a Z dot com mm -hmm. and just read through everything they're doing they definitely pulled a lot of uh, pages out of the board ape yacht club playbook um but he's got a bunch of bats and they're sort of like these you know 8-bit looking kind of you know renderings of bats and so forth and of course they're all different um the fun thing that they do and it's the same thing really that board ape yacht club does is they have a um a, you can run you can run a, a program on it which changes the bat so um you can bite another NFT, quote unquote, bite another NFT and take a bit of that NFT and then create another NFT that's sort of um, a hybrid of your bat and that first NFT. So if you have a Board Ape Yacht Club ape, you can bite the ape with your bat and it'll give you another NFT that is that ape and your bat together. Got it. Wow. Yeah. So we'll back up one second because I, I think this is actually a pretty um, important thing that yeah. Board Ape Yacht Club did. So Board Ape Yacht Club is the big example in NFTs, right? They're like the funny looking apes that are very like street looking, mm -hmm. very much into like the whole street skate culture. Right. Um, they minted like, what was it? 10,000 um, apes and some were more rare than others, blah, blah, blah. They've, you know, they go for hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point. Um, the cool thing they did um, after the minting, but maybe like six, eight months on, they released what they called a serum to everybody who owned the NFT. Wow. So the serum could be applied to your ape and then it mutated your ape in some way. So now you have two NFTs not spending any more money at all, right? So you had your valuable ape and now you have a second one that is the serum and they distribute the serum to all their ape owners, but they had different serums and some serums more, were more rare than others. Right. So the idea of rarity around NFTs is really important because the more mm -hmm. rare something is, the more valuable it is. You know, if we all have red backgrounds on our NFTs, then we all have red backgrounds, but if there's all red backgrounds, but there's two black, those two black are now rare. Right. And they're worth more money because they're yeah. rare. 
the same way that, you know, there's a limited release of the 12 inch vinyl from the remix that. done by so-and-so, yeah. you know, that was recorded at the club at the club show in Amsterdam on Halloween. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. that's rare. So that We're really good at limited edition stuff in music. We sure. get it. We fully get <laughs> limited edition stuff. Yes. And we get resale value on that too. And now you can participate in the resale value. But the cool thing was this, they, you know, they have this mutant thing. So now, um, from the from the NFT creator standpoint, the Board of Yacht Club, who runs the whole community behind that and the perks around it and so forth, they were able to double their inventory without doing another minting. Mm-hmm. And they're able to make money on that double without doing anything besides sending out a serum and people, wow. you know, putting out their, make, you know, applying it to their own NFTs, making another. It costs them nothing to do that, really, right? Yeah. Um, there's there's no there's no um, minting costs. There's there's nothing around that they have that they have. there's no gas fees for them. Like there's nothing. Gas fees is like the fees that you that that you get charged for actually doing it like a, like a transaction fee. Mm-hmm. Um, so they doubled their inventory. So now they have like double the value on their inventory. Yeah. Right. And that and then and they get a big on every one of those sales too. It's just like they're just minting yep. money. And Crypto Bats did the same thing because if you you can only bite other NFTs that you also own in your wallet and they have a, maybe like five or six different um other um collections that they partner with to do this. Mm-hmm. Um but it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. And they've also done this whole thing called ancient bats where they've hidden QR codes kind of all over the world and they're going to um, reveal clues on where these QR codes are. And these QR codes will then release more NFTs to you or more perks or, you know, whatever it is. So it's, you know, you're kind of only limited to your imagination. And I I tell this with people who stream all the time, like I can tell you how to use all these tools. I can tell you how all these tools work, you know, with a live stream. Um, I can tell you how an on-screen alert works. I can tell you how, you know, to set up your, your chat bot. Um, all, how you use them is the magic. That's right. right. How you apply, you know, my personal brand culture, my artist culture, what I represent, what I'm into, what we joke about, how we, how we talk to each other, the silly songs I play for you, the serious songs I play for you, you know, how I connect with my personal life with you, what, whatever the culture is of your brand and how you communicate that with your, with your fans and how you build community with them on the back of that. The chatbot is just a tool for you to, you know, realize that the on-screen alert is just a tool for you to realize that. And it's the same thing with NFTs. It's just a tool for you to realize however you're, you're communicating with your fans, however you're building community with them, however you're building your brand out with them, however you're releasing things with them, like your imagination is really only the limit. Um, and if you need more inspiration, just go look at a bunch of NFT offerings and see what kind yes. of crazy shit they're doing. Cause there's a lot of crazy shit out there. And it's, th- that's the fun part for NFTs mm-hmm. to me, you know, and as, as long as you can kind of keep feeding that beast, your collection's valuable and you'll keep making money off it. Um, but more importantly, you know, you'll, you'll be having this, you know, amazing culture with your fans. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe the NFT allows access to a specific private uh, message board on your discord. You exactly. know? And, and they get to keep that even if they sold their NFTs. And now you have, you know, a kind of a VIP area for all your fans. So, and you, you, yeah, go ahead. 
please. Yeah. So it, you know, it just, it just kind of, it kind of goes and goes with whatever you can think up to do. Yes. And you and I have seen that a million times Mm -hmm. because, you know, artists used to be like, okay, I'm on Twitter. I'm not huge yet. Or I'm on Patreon. I'm not taking, not making tons of money. I'm like, well, you haven't updated in six months. (laughs) So, um, and I get that the stuff can be intimidating, but you know, like I've said throughout the podcast and the book, I feel really strongly. You have to do what's authentic to yourself. Mm -hmm. So, like, like you said, go check this stuff out to get inspired, and then figure out what what's right for you. Um, I'm sure you know Jordan Walker. Um, This is probably a random example, but. He was, he was basically the digital person at a management company, I don't know, 10, 14 years ago, something like that. And he literally taught Lenny Kravitz how to get on Twitter, you know, because artists are like, okay, what is this thing? What am I doing? And I don't know what to do yet. And, and I thought Jordan explained it really well. Like, it's just, a, so, you know, start following some things that you're into, like New York Times or a baseball team. I, mean, I don't know if Lenny Kravitz is into those things, but yeah. this is an example. Sure. And then view it as a river of information and jump in when you're ready, when you feel compelled. And, and so, like you said, like, you offer all this great advice, but go check it out yourself. And then I would say, you know, figure out what's true to yourself, because that's what's going to authentically connects with, with not just with your audience, but with building an audience. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And if you need inspiration, um, obviously Google, you know, music NFTs, but I really think that the water and music um, subscription is worth it. If nothing else, because they literally put together a database that you can scroll through to see, you know, every music NFT startup, every music NFT offering that they, that they, you know, have tracked, which is most of them. Um, all the different Web3 companies and tools out there for you. Like they've done your research for you. You know, even if you subscribe for like two months and just do your right. research and bolt, like that's insane. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. I use it, you know, yeah. I mean, I read everything and I, st- I still use it. I'm like, thanks, Sherry, for doing all this work for me. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I think she does put out a lot of stuff for free too. I mean, don't quote me she on does. that, but you're exactly right. That's such a trusted resource, resource she, and is constantly updated. She does. Yeah. Um, there is something on there um, called stream. I'm going to click on it right now. It's stream.waterandmusic.com. And that is her general report on nfts and you know web3 music and so forth and that is free and it's a collection of like eight or nine reports that they wrote it's a really good jumping off point love it Mm -hmm. um so hopefully we covered nfts for people and they're feeling a little more informed in that department um i want to talk about live streaming i mean we definitely talked about twitch um Mm -hmm. is there anything else you want to say about twitch i mean there's many things you could say but yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the thing I want to tell artists about Twitch is don't do Twitch unless you really want to do Twitch. It's yep. not a casual thing. You know, it's like a social media person wouldn't tell you to, to, to post twice on Instagram and walk away. Totally. You know, it's the same thing with Twitch. Like if, if you're really down for feeding it, you know, and, and streaming on a regular basis. And I tell artists, if you want to build, you're going to do two to four hour um, streams, three to five days a week the the more you can do the more you're going to grow the less you're going to do the less you're going to grow it's a pretty it's a pretty heavy time commit um if you can't do that and and live streaming isn't really a possibility for you as as one of the main things you do then work it into where you already are like instagram you know has live streaming facebook has live streaming um twitter does but don't live stream on it it's fucking awful um 
the one I'm super excited about right now, honestly, is TikTok. If you're at okay. all active on TikTok, um, the live streaming on there is actually really good. Um, so you need at least a thousand followers right now to live stream on TikTok. Um, not too hard to get to if you do, you know, a bunch of cute videos. Um, what I like about it is uh, you actually can use OBS to stream on TikTok. Okay. So, so if um, a really good camera, well, the camera's actually really good on phones, but if really good video quality is important to you, if you want to put overlays, you know, on, um, on, on your screen or whatever, you can totally do that uh, with OBS and just stream from OBS. OBS is a free um, program. I think it's obsproject.com. Uh, I cannot believe it's free. <laughs> it's like the best right. free software ever. It's so good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would use that. Uh, the other way to do it is with your phone. Um, and you can just, you know, play into the mic on your phone or you can get an iRig. Uh, it's, it's a little um, like audio interface that plugs into your gear and connects that to your phone. It makes it sound good because it's coming in from your gear, not just from your, your phone mic. Um, and iRigs work on Androids uh, or iOS. So you're good there. Um, but what I like about TikTok live streaming is you're taking it a bit more seriously now. Before, you could really only see a live stream if somebody you were, are, you were already following happened to be live streaming. Um, and now they're just chucking live streams into the feed, So um, which is great <laughs> because the discoverability is kind of off the hook there. Um, so I've seen people on there who are, you know, who, who I would not say are indie artists, you know, who totally. are just maybe like hobbyist artists um, who just enjoy playing a weird instrument. There's this one guy who plays this kind of like um, steel drum kind of instrument. He sits, he sits like next to, um, you know, next to a lake and he's just totally chilled out and kind of playing the steel drum kind of a thing. He gets thousands and thousands of people watching him. It's right. become kind of a phenomenon. Yeah. It's it, like, it's that easy. Like when I was telling people to get on Twitch for music, it was in this perfect spot where there were enough viewers and fans on there to kind of go around, right? Mm -hmm. So you could grow. It wasn't, wasn't too much supply and not of demand. There was a good balance of supply and demand and it wasn't totally saturated. So you actually could, you know, bust through and get noticed and grow. Um, we're kind of on the other side of that right now with Twitch. It does take quite a lot of work because the saturation level was much higher than it was before. TikTok is where Twitch was then. So not a lot of people are streaming on, uh, on TikTok. So when you right. do, you tend to get noticed. TikTok is really good at pointing their fire hose, you know, kind of all across the spectrum. Um, so you're going to get into a lot of feeds, which is great. And if people click through, they hang out with you. There's on-platform monetization on TikTok. So people can buy their coins. I think it is called coin um, okay. and they can spend it and it's smaller increments than on Twitch too. So um, the people can spend like 25 cents, 20 cents, whatever. So in like each 25 cent increments, like a rose or something, you can buy roses, you can buy all different kinds of little virtual goods and they pop up on the screen in really fun ways. So um, people are encouraged to do it. Um, the only thing I don't really like about TikTok is the chat I think is really hard to follow mm. because you're in a portrait phone format. Um, I haven't seen right. any way for them to pop out the chat. So if you're, if you're streaming from your desktop, which you certainly can uh, on TikTok, 
I haven't seen a way for to pop out that chat so it's more readable. So it is a little harder to keep up with the comments. And I think keeping up with the comments is insanely important. Acknowledging yes. people when yep. they say something, when they request something, when they say they like you, when they say hi, that back and forth, the breaking of the fourth wall is completely what live streaming is all about. Yep. And if you're going to ignore that, then you are missing the gold <laughs> that there is to be gotten from live streaming. Yes. Um, so, but that's why I like TikTok so much. It's just, you know, it's, it's in that perfect spot. And TikTok has, you know, hundreds of millions of users, <laughs> you know, every single day. Uh, so the audience is definitely there. There's a bunch of other platforms you could experiment on. There's volume, there's sessions, there's street jelly. Um, there's a bunch of others that are sort of pure play music live streaming websites. Um, and the problem with that is, um, you know, they, they, they functionally, they work great, but they don't have a lot of watchers, right? There's not a lot of people who were just there. And this is what was so great about Twitch. Twitch had 150 million like monthly active users, right? So mm -hmm. some, any of the crumbs that come off that mountain can sustain a category like music. People right. will sort of find their way to it. There was, because there was enough happening on there that they would eventually sort of find their way to music in some way, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's much harder when you're a pure play um, service like like volume or sessions where they have to find a way to bring people to come watch a bunch of indie artists and who gives a crap about a bunch of indie artists historically nobody <laughs> you know um, music works great when it's a category of, of a larger service you know and it can kind of filter down it's super super hard to do anything that's a pure play music thing on its own spotify even struggled a lot in its first five years. Like we couldn't get anybody to pay five bucks a month for Spotify. Like their numbers were way more heavily on free, you know, ad supported than they were on, 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 on paid. And I think now that's flipped. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of why I'm all hyped on TikTok. And a lot of what I talk about in my book um, is just the tools, you know, like I teach you how to use stream labs and stream elements. You can use that um, on YouTube and Facebook. So if you're, if Facebook is where your audience is, then for love of God, stream on Facebook, you know, service your audience there. Um, they, they do have virtual currency. It's called stars. People can tip you stars. Um, Facebook is not great at, prom at promoting you. They're really, really bad at it. Mm -hmm. YouTube is really, really bad at promoting you. Yeah. You know, Instagram is really, really bad at showing you any lives unless you're absolutely following somebody who was live. It's like, it's almost, it's almost impossible to find a, a directory of who's live right now on Instagram. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So these are the problems I have, you know, with those services, they've, they've nested live streaming in there. So, so well, <laughs> you know, it's so, it's hard to find it unless, you know, you're in the moment you're already following somebody. And what a lot of indie artists need is discoverability. So for discoverability, I'm telling you, TikTok, you know, just work it. It's really good right now. And it's probably easier than Twitch, especially if you're a very TikTok-y, you know, kind of creator. Um, and if you have a lot of time um, to really put into not only the streaming on Twitch, but the networking you have to do with the other streamers mm -hmm. to sort of become a part of their communities and to get discovered within their communities and have them raid you. Rating is when you end your stream, you can send all of your current viewers into another stream all at the same time. It's like passing on audience. Yeah. You know, that's something that, that the streamer decides to do or not. Right. That's not a thing that an algorithm does for them. 
So you have to go network with a bunch of artists to kind of get on their radar, you know, so that they'll raid you and you want to do it with artists that stream at the same time as you, because if they're not live when you're live, they're not going to raid you, <laughs> you know, totally. it's this whole, it's this whole thing, which is why I wrote a book on it. Um, but TikTok is like way easier right now to just sort of jump in and do it. And they're, um, I think from what I can tell, they are putting a lot more um, effort and resources into live streaming and seeing if they can make that a go. So um, I, I would, I, if I were an artist right now, I, I would probably would not do Twitch. I probably would just start with TikTok and see how I did on that. Interesting. And, you know, for people that are intimidated by TikTok, I'm dating myself a little bit, but then I won't. Um, I was teaching at NYU in late 2019, and the students were asking me what I thought about TikTok. These were undergrads, and I was like, well, what do you all think about TikTok? And the American students were like, it's for our younger siblings. You know, it was for like 13-year-olds or whatever. But then the students from China were like, our parents are into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's, a much more, it's a much more mature platform. You know, yeah, TikTok exactly. came from China. Right. Yeah. And so the undergrads were too cool for it in both age directions. But um, I know we're not all Bob Weir and have, you know, support teams and stuff. But my business partner uh, just this last weekend was showing me like, um, Bob Weir in the gym on TikTok. And it was amazing. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you necessarily have to be that, you know, I could be totally wrong, that inherent YouTube, you know, YouTuber, TikTok content creator type of person. It was like, watching Bob, Bob Weir lift weights at the gym was hilarious and awesome. So it could, again, it's, it's, it's gotta be your authentic self. And, um, for what it's worth, I'm like, I, Emily, as an individual is not on TikTok cause it just feels too distracting for me. And, um, I'd rather meditate and go do yoga and, and I, you know, um, I just want to break from this stuff. But I, I was also saying to my business partner and I voted festival director was in town this weekend. I, I and other people like me will get on it when there's something on there that um, we can't see anywhere else. And I, (laughs) I swear not that I'm like interested in celebrity sex tapes, but because you said Pam and Tommy, like not that I think a sex tape would be on there, but something like that, right. That takes over the zeitgeist in the universe and just then like normies are going to check it out. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, find what's right for you, but also like if it's working for Bob Weir, who's, you know, a boomer or whatever, like, um, it, it can work for anyone. It seems like, you know, I will say I, I'm on TikTok quite a bit because um, I'm, I'm such a, just a massive fan of it. I love internet culture so much. Um, and I, I love it whenever, whenever there's a new like social tool out. Um, so I'm all over TikTok. Um, but I will say it's not just a bunch of kids doing stupid dances and right. pranks, you yes. know, the, I mean, I see people on there talking about recovery. You know, and their recovery journey. Yeah. I, there's a guy on there who got out of prison. He talks about prison. Wow. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of like millennial slash elder millennial mm-hmm. on there, you know, sort of talking about things that are important to them. Yep. Um, there's definitely a lot of comedy and stuff. Um, the, the thing is, the thing that I tell people who are becoming live streamers is that you're not an artist anymore. You're now a creator. And you have to really think about um, how you are creating a, a larger um, multifaceted piece of content right. as a live stream than you are just playing a show, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what the, that's what it is, and it's the same thing when you're a TikTok creator. Like yep. you're not just an artist. You just don't go up there and like post you like playing songs because that's no fun. Yeah. Like do something <laughs> with it. Exactly. 
Um, and there's a bunch of Twitch artists who are on TikTok. Um, Raquel is one of them. She just goes by Raquel. And she, she is, I think she's Filipino. I want to say she's Filipino. And she does a lot of really funny videos about, you know, the Filipino culture versus, you know, American culture and, you know, jokes that are funny to, to that sort of segment and sort of interesting to people who are outside looking in. Um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And then she'll also just like play a song once in a while. Um, so you kind of have to mix it up. And the weird thing is you never know how your videos are going to do. Sure. Like you think you're hitting all the, on all the viral, you know, specs, you know, things that are going to make it go viral and it doesn't. And then some, and then some stupid video you did just like for fun is the one that goes viral. Like it's completely, and, and I think that really honestly speaks to how the algorithm works on TikTok too. Sure. Right. So how many people is TikTok exposing it to? So it's not so much um, the merit of the quality of the video necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's, did it get in the algorithm? Did it get in the, in the feed? Yeah. Uh, in some meaningful way. And if it didn't, it took off. Did those people then take the next step of going to your profile and looking right. at a bunch of other videos? Yeah. So you can't really get too caught up in your numbers. Yeah. You have to think of it as a body of work. Cool. Right. That. That's, that's like a lot easier mentally on you too. Just think of yeah. it as a body of work overall. How are my views doing overall? Am I getting more followers? You know, overall, am I getting better at this? <laughs> you know, because yeah. I, I honestly do find editing video on TikTok to be completely maddening. Mm, um, I haven't quite, I haven't really good. found my footing with that yet. I'm using yeah. something called, I'm using something called CapCut, okay. um, which is a C-A-P-C-U-T, which is a TikTok app that helps you edit videos into TikTok. Because mm -hmm. um, TikTok uh, videos are the creating a, a video on TikTok is kind of like limiting and how much you can do with it. You can do much more with it on CapCut, um, but it's still a bit maddening. Um, you could just create something in Premiere, honestly. You know, if you have like the, the tech specs, you could just create it in Premiere and then just export that if that's easier for you to do. Um, and then just add all the TikTok-y things, you know, in TikTok. Uh, TikTok loves captions, for example. Like right. always, 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 always caption your videos, even if you're just singing. Like it's really helpful because people are sometimes watching it in noisy environments. Sure. You know, so the captions are super helpful. Um, the little stickers and so forth, that's super helpful. Um, changing up the changing up your um, your camera perspective is super helpful. Like it's still kind of a highly edited medium in some right. respects. Although I will say I've seen people who do no editing at all, but who, who are making eye contact with the camera yes. and talking about something that, you know, people can really connect with. Like Elise Myers does that. Um, she's very like transparent about her struggle with ADHD mm. and all kinds of things and all the crazy shit she's done in her past and how she's kind of on this new path for herself. You wow. know what her job is? She makes websites. Wow. That's her job. Yeah. She never talks about it on TikTok, but she totally. has this like this really robust business, like making websites. And she sort of become this creator because she was just able to sort of connect with people by doing these, you know, super intense, you know, this is what happened. This is what happened. And this is the result. Boom. I'm out kind of videos, mm -hmm. you know? So there's kind of no one way to do it. Um, I just really recommend if people are getting into it, just 
spend a good month or so before you ever create anything and just watch a bunch of stuff as you engage, see how the algorithm reacts to what you're engaging with. And then every so often go into the massive explore section and just start looking at a bunch of stuff because the algorithm is only going to show you what it thinks you like. It's not going to show you everything that's generally popular and happening. Um, So definitely look at what's generally going on um, and then try to work with popular sounds. So there's like generally popular sounds. And then people, if they're like really trying to promote a sound and you'll know because it'll be in the recommended sound list, make something with that because they're going to probably prefer, you know, they're going to overcorrect for the algorithm and people who are using those sounds. Incredible. Yeah. So what are you up to now? You have your new company and everything. Yeah. So Infinite Album is... um, Really, really interesting company I kind of sort of fell into. So we're an adaptive AI music company, and we enable gamers on live stream platforms like Twitch um, to create infinite streams of music for their live stream. And the music is reactive with the game as it's played. It is viewer interactive, meaning viewers can um, spend bits to change the genre or add sound effects. Um, And it is copyright safe because Mm -hmm. it is AI music, um, which is a massive problem uh, on Twitch. A lot of people even have to silence the games, the music in the game itself, because it's not cleared for use, you know, outside of personal gameplay. Mm So yeah, copyrights are really, really big issue. Um, But even more so, it's just fun to kind of have a soundtrack, you know, with different music than what the game came with. And we do create a soundtrack as we go uh, by default. And it's it's viewer interactive. So you can actually make money with this app too. So that's sort of phase one. Phase two was we're looking for artists to um, make sound packs with us. Mm -hmm. So a sound pack is a collection of MIDI sounds and notes and composition rules. Um, and some just, you know, straight uh, MP3s of, um, of performing that we can use to train the AI on. So um, we can basically create music in your style infinitely, um, infinite combinations of music in your style. Uh, so we'll sell those sound packs to the gamers to use in the app. And then the next version of that is um, for each one of those streams that gamers create, uh, they just generate them basically until they find one they like. Uh, we call those streams vibes. Um, they're able to, they will be able to export those vibes into little files that can then be imported into other people's apps, which means that they can trade them with other gamers and they can sell them to other gamers. So this becomes really interesting when we have um, an artist, like for our for our like stock music, probably not so interesting, but if we get an artist involved, you know, and then they can create um, vibes with it. The gamers can create vibes and then sell those vibes in a marketplace. So other people can use that vibe. Say, say they came up with a really cool beat, especially, especially at some point we'll enable them to customize them in certain ways, you know, give the gamers um, a set of tools they can use to, augment the beat or add synth or whatever they want to do so they can really customize it. They can put those in the marketplace. Um, And then we're going to enable them to be able to mint those vibes into NFTs so that whoever holds that NFT can share in the royalty from the sale of it on the marketplace. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to grok. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, 
So uh, I don't expect anybody to get it right away. We're at the very beginning of that whole cycle. So we are mm -hmm. just now launching our beta like in the next week. Yeah. Um, where um, gamers will be able to use our stock music and, you know, our stock algorithms um, to create music for their streams and um, viewers will be able to interact and spend to interact so that we're at the first stage of that. So we'll get all the bugs worked out from there and then launch it um, and then hopefully have some artist sound packs ready to go, you know, at launch. We'll see. Got it. Yeah. And where can folks find you and your book, Twitch for Musicians? Twitch for Musicians is at twitchformusicians.com. Um, my um, Twitter is Twitch for Music. The Instagram is also Twitch for Music. You will find almost nothing on the Instagram because I am terrible at my own socials. <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a Twitter person. I'm a more of an information disseminator mm -hmm. than I am a photo disseminator. So I, right. I tend towards Twitter. Um, uh, for me personally, my LinkedIn uh, is, uh, is Karen L. Allen. Um, that's the LinkedIn. Um, I think that's it. Those are the main, those are the main things. I, um, I, have an on, I have an online course. If reading is not your deal, I do have an online course. Um, and you'll find that at twitchandmusicians.com. And it's basically the book only I show you everything yeah. as I'm doing it. It's like a step-by-step -step and, and then there's a Q and a, um, comment section on each one and I answer I answer comments within 24 hours great yeah and I also do zoom Q&A's monthly with all of my online course students and that's just a free-for-all ask me whatever you want oh fantastic yeah and then well, I record those and add those to the course and then I um, go and time code them so you know where to jump in whichever your question is so like a lot of the update new stuff is covered in those zoom Q&A's yeah like we, we go through TikTok we go through like lots of stuff I love it yeah, it's really fun. It's my favorite part is the Q&As. I bet. Absolutely. Is there anything yeah. else you want to add? Live streaming, NFTs? I think I've covered it. Yeah, all the this things that I'm cool. super into right now, I think I've covered it. Um, yeah, uh, for live streaming, I'm, I'm kind of hot on TikTok right now. <laughs> cool. I got to say, the Twitch girl's kind of into TikTok. Incredible. Well, maybe yeah, that's a book. I mean, honestly, I'm just a live streaming nerd. I just chose Twitch because I thought at, the, at that moment in time, it was the, it was the best option for, for indie artists. And I, I still do think it really is a great option for indie artists. Yeah. But you just you need to be realistic about your time commit. Yeah. And, and, you, don't on and you don't on TikTok, especially if you're already active on TikTok. You could literally stream once a month on TikTok and be fine and not, not it's not going to hurt your numbers. Right. And if you stream once a month on Twitch, it hurts your numbers. Got it. Well, Karen, thank you so much for your time. This was so helpful and, and informative. I, I appreciate it so much. It was super fun for me. Thanks so much for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you again, Karen. Stay in touch. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to following you, hearing from you, because you are such a trusted resource on all of this stuff. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm excited to see what you do next, too. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this season of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Season two will be out in 2023. In the meantime, I will be launching the hashtag I Voted Festival podcast very soon. So if you would like to be in the loop on that, we're going to be interviewing artists and explaining how we built how we built and how we build the largest single night digital concert in history. So head over to ivotedconcerts.com, sign up for our email list. We uh, are already booking hundreds of artists for our November 8th, 2022 voter turnout event. 
Um, you can tune in from anywhere in the world. So check that out. And then say, stay subscribed to this podcast um, for an enhanced special edition version in 2023 that I'm very excited about. You all have made this not only the number one music business podcast in America, but the number one music business podcast in the world. You blow my mind. Thank you so much for everything. And thank you again to Karen. And I look forward to uh, hearing from you all year. Actually, I'm really behind on making um, YouTube clips of this podcast. So uh, we'll have kind of the Cliff's Notes, Spark Notes version um, trickling out this year. And otherwise, I'm at EMWizzle on social media. Um, We'll be doing more of this, updated versions in 2023. As always, thank you so much to my engineer, Nathan Kane. Thank you to Matthew Wong. And I hope you have a great day, night, wherever you are, and that you found this season helpful. Thank you again.